Thank you, Brian. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Being in the Lord's presence with his people. It's good stuff. Yeah. There we go. We're looking, uh, we're continuing our study in Matthew, the revealing of the king, this wonderful teaching gospel. If you'll grab your Bible, iPad, Android, iPhone, other device, and turn or find or search or download your way to the book of Matthew, we'll get right to it. I have, um, I got a batch of brothers and sisters. One of them is a kook. We all, we, we all in the family agree she's the outlier. As a matter of fact, you know, every family has one. You know, there's a little joke about that if you don't know who it is in your family. Assuming you're the only one, then it definitely is you. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, time exposes all things about us. You know, if we can hide it, we can push it down, but give it enough time, things crop out. They become part of who we are. And unfortunately, in this particular sister's life, and I, and, I, and I love her, she drives me crazy. She drives all the siblings crazy. She's just a very interesting person. Uh, the last time I was at her house... Uh, she said, uh, hey, let me, let me give you a little tour of kind of some, some stuff in the house. And it was really like a tour of, uh, of a museum with price tags. And as we walked along, she goes, you know what? I only paid uh, $250 for that chair right there. It's a blah, blah, blah. So, oh, okay. And then the, as we worked our way through the house, it was like, oh, hey, look at this. Look at this thing. That's only $1,000. I got that for $1,000. And she gave me sort of a running uh, tabulation of her net worth as found in the house, she wanted me to know, and she might as well have just left the price tags on them because by the time we were done, I should have just had a tally. So you're worth about this much based on all this cool stuff in your house. She couldn't help it because when she looked, she would see something of value to her. They were concrete reminders to her that she had either searched and found or they were something amazing from the French period of something I didn't know about or look at the curve on that little leg. See, that shows it's a blah, blah, blah piece. Okay. Is that a termite I see in there? <laughs> you, you know, we all do that, right? We, we all have those kind of things in, in our lives. As a matter of fact, since my wife's not here, I'll just go ahead and tell a story about her, too. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Just kidding, because it has been recorded. <laughs> and she is going to listen, too. She, she has been known to say, I'll see things in her closet, go, hey, is that new? She goes, no. I said, really? She goes, no, that's not new. That's old. I said, that's funny, because I didn't see it there like last week. She goes, no, it's been there a week or two, you know, which is apparently old. And uh, it has value when she looks at it. There's, it says something to her about the incredible deal she got, because usually the follow-up is, you know, how much would you pay for that? Which my answer is usually nothing. But she says, no, 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 that's worth X number of dollars, but that's not what I paid for it. I paid $2.50. It was a screaming deal. I couldn't pass it up, and there, there we go. Well, it's interesting. If I were to give you a tour of our house, one, we don't have price tags on stuff, but I could point to almost every piece of furniture in our house and tell you something about it because it's connected to either to a person or to an event that God did in our family, like sitting on our back porch is one of the old pews from the vineyard here. And when, every time I look at it, it reminds me of what was back in the day. And it used to sit right back up there 
and it was a step-up pew, and we used to sit in those pews because it was the only way to see down here, and they were the leftovers from when this was a Greek Orthodox church and then a Baptist church. And so it's got a lot of very interesting history and memory. Every time I look at it, I think of that. Well, the reason I tell you this is because I'll bet you have some of those things in your life too. What are the memorials, those concrete examples of something in your life? What comes to mind when I say to you something that you think of that reminds you of something incredibly meaningful? Right now, tell somebody next to you the first thing that came to your mind. Go ahead and tell them. Just say it out loud. Okay. Wasn't that, wasn't that easy? They just like pop into your head. You can't help it. There they are. <clears throat> I, I would suspect Alan Volker would say, well, there's the Volkswagen I, I drug up from Mexico uh, 30 years ago. Am I close? Oh, your second one. Okay, well. <laughs> you know, the, it, it's amazing about those things. We are people who, for the most part, like those kind of memorials. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite places to visit on the planet is Washington, D.C. It is a cool place because there are so many things there. When you see them, they elicit something from you. As a matter of fact, Shelley's dad in his mid-90s, they're going to take him back uh, next week to the World War II Memorial so he can see it, and it will remind him of a lot of things. Things it wouldn't, wouldn't remind me of, but it will remind him. And he'll get a chance to connect with others that it remind them and to tell his story to some kids that will be there at the, at the time. It will be a very powerful time of remembering and connecting with something in the past. But you know, that's what Matthew's going to do in this passage that we're looking at today. He's going to pull up three very interesting memorials and establish them to his listeners. And when we hear it, I suspect we hear something very different than what they hear. Because these little historic vignettes are directly tied to what is happening in this passage, and he's going to use them as a memorial to impress upon his readers the value of what God was doing when Christ came. So if you'll look at Matthew chapter 2, either read along with me or just listen as I read starting in verse 13, and we'll go to the end. Just listen for these stories. I usually bring you kind of a funny story, but you know, don't need to tonight because we have three very powerful stories. So here we go. When they, and this would be the Magi that Chris referred to last week, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left to Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, 
Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Lord, we have your word before us. Would you help us to take it deeper than our lives, not to treat it lightly, to open our hearts and our minds, our souls, to your spirit as you speak tonight. Give us that one thing that you prepared from before the foundations of the earth to place in us tonight. We want to be hearers of your word, not just those who walk away unchanged, but then do what you lay on us. And in Jesus' name, we would pray to that end. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here we go. Three interesting stories. And it's really, it's really an interesting little, uh, little passage. We kind of gloss over it because, you know, the nativity came before this, and that was all pretty exciting. And then we get to this, it's like, okay, yeah, bop, 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 and we're done. Let's get over to chapter 3. But these are really quite fascinating because, for one thing, this is the only place they occur. So Matthew's taking time to make sure that these, for his readers and listeners, these are extremely important. Now, remember, who was reading the Gospel of Matthew? Who was it written to? It's a little test. The Jews. These are Jewish believers who are deeply aware of Jewish traditions and history. And so when they hear these stories and when they hear some of these phrases, it makes perfect sense to them because it relates to something that God has done and is doing. But really, the cool thing is, how often do we get a chance to pull back the curtain and kind of look behind the scenes of historical events and kind of really find out what happened? This is one of those opportunities where God is going to pull back the curtain and let us see several things. One, how he works and how he works through ordinary people in ordinary circumstances, apparently. And then how he imposes his great plan on those and hooks them together so that his purposes are accomplished using even frail people who are filled with fear, anxiety, trepidation. God still uses them. Weird events, God uses them, redeems them. Strange things that didn't seem to fit, God has it in his plan. And so all these details are quite important. And so we gloss over them, but actually to the Jewish listener, these were extremely important. And I'd like to tell you why a little bit later this evening. But you know, the other thing that's happening here is we get the beauty of hindsight. You know, here we are, we're sitting up here in this century, we look back and we go, yeah, 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 we've, we've heard those stories many times before. These folks hadn't heard these stories before. This is like fresh off the skillet. And they're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is, this is interesting. This, this kind of connects the dots for us. We didn't know this. And so while we get the beauty of looking back and understanding things, this was fulfilling for the Jewish listener the connecting points of what God was doing. Now, i got to tell you, if we could all live with perfect hindsight, our lives would be so much better, but we don't have perfect hindsight. As a matter of fact, I would imagine right now in this room, in people's experiences, there are things happening where you wish you knew where it was going. You kind of be nice to know what's around the corner. 
And at some point, you will get down the road far enough where you'll look back and go, ah, oh, okay. Whew, now that makes pretty good sense. Oh, I just missed that, or this just barely happened, or ah, okay, things come into focus. But I would suspect right now, each of us has something where we would like to know, where's this going? What's going to happen? Is there going to be a favorable outcome here, or are we just going to like flame out, hit the wall, come undone? It'd be nice to know that now. But unfortunately, in time, of which binds us, we don't usually get the beauty of hindsight. But Matthew's going to give us that tonight through this passage. And so as the Jewish listener heard these stories, several things popped up immediately in their mind. They went, wait a minute. Jesus went to where? Egypt? Oh, that sounds familiar. And there would be a sudden cultural connection where they'd go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we went to Egypt too. And suddenly they say, hey, this, is, this sounds very familiar to us. We were drawn into Egypt. Christ was drawn into Egypt. Well, wait a minute, there must be some big plan going on here that somehow they're all connected. And then they see this horrible story of death and mayhem from a horrible leader. That will sound very familiar to them as well. The suffering and the struggling that they experienced in the 400 years of slavery. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar too. Under a heavy burden of a, of a despot, a horrible dictator-type leader. And then suddenly a person is drawn out. God brings them back out of Egypt. And all the Jewish listeners would have gone, yes, very familiar again. And so they would have made these connections all along the way. It would have made perfect sense to them. And they would have said, ah, I see what's happening. God did this big thing over here. And now he's replicating a different version of it over here. What makes perfect sense. And it would make perfect sense to them because they would see how God was working. And they would hear some familiar voices. They would hear things like, this fulfilled what the prophet said. And they went, oh, well, there's the ultimate authority. The prophet spoke. Things happened. See? This must, have, this must be connected in this, this setting as well. The fulfillment of certain promises. Aha! We knew about that too. And so they would connect with that. And so to the Jewish mind, all of these made perfect sense and connected them to what God was doing, which was this current plan, this current unveiling of Christ and would make perfect sense in their minds. So while we look back and go, oh, those are interesting Bible stories, to the Jewish reader, they would look and go, yep, I see it. I see the dots. We can connect them. Here we go. So God is at work. It's interesting, in verses 14, 17, and 23, Matthew makes a point in each of these little vignettes to remind them, this is not happening randomly out here, like some little thing that's just a little sidebar where they're kind of curving over to the side, going to get a little scenic viewpoint. No, no. All of this to fulfill what God said would happen. As the prophet said here, as the prophet said there, as was said here. See, it all is part of a plan. I've got to tell you, when I read this, I find that extremely exciting. Because it means that we too are part of a plan. We're part of a bigger plan. That would be nice to know what that plan was. Well, you know, God has revealed and we'll see that later. But in terms of God's plans, you know, sometimes we think of God's plans kind of like the Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston, and it's big, and, you know, waves are kind of and big, grandiose things. That's not what Matthew's saying here. He says, you know what? God's plans sometimes are like teeny tiny. Pack your bag, move to the other side of town. Pack your bag, move to a different country. Oh, by the way, now come back. Go here, do this. Very small things, ordinary people, and I'm going to guide you each little step of the way. These are not big, grandiose things. As a matter of fact, the only people who knew that this was happening were Joseph and Mary 
and Jesus, I guess. Everybody else was looking for them or wasn't even aware of them. Nobody knew that this was a wonderful story of movement to Egypt and back, except for them. But now Matthew opens, pulls the curtain back that we can see. And you know, it's interesting. Did you notice in the passage that these are not perfect people? As a matter of fact, we find that Joseph himself, I mean, a couple of times it expresses he's anxious about stuff. He's fearful, so maybe we shouldn't go here. You know, let's not go there. I'm scared of the king's son, so let's, let's just go over there. He thought that was just a random decision that he was making. But what does this passage tell us? It wasn't random at all. God had that in his plan. Because I'm going to park you right over here. And that's okay. I'll, I'll use your anxiety and we'll still work it out. Because that's part of my plan. It's interesting in this passage too. As, as we look at it, we have this horrible story where probably 20 to 50 young children were, were murdered. This is horrible. You know, to the American sensibility, we read that and go, oh, that, how could that be in the Bible? That's, that's horrible. But if you get outside America into other countries, most people in different countries look at this and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm totally familiar with that. Yeah, evil people doing evil things. Oh, we know all about that. We live with that every day. Terrible leaders taking things for their own advantage, taking money, people, resources, so that we're poor or we have nothing. This was, is not unusual to the vast majority of the world. They would be very familiar with this. So while we're shocked, this is not that unusual. And it also provides to the Jewish mind an explanation that, you know, evil things still happen, but God is able to somehow redeem even those things and pull them in and create something redemptive out of these experiences. Now, an interesting little sidebar that's usually overlooked in this passage. Did you, did you notice who the faithful person in this story is? Let me, let me give you a little hint. Listen to this. Angel appears to Joseph and says, get up, go to Egypt. Stay there. The next verse, you know what it says? So he got up and took the child and hit the, hit the, hit the road. It doesn't say he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. How are we going to make this happen? Or, I, don't know, I don't know Egyptian. Why should we move over there? There's none of that. As a matter of fact, every time the Lord speaks to Joseph, you know what he does? He gets up and he goes. He gets up and he does. Just a little historic curiosity. How do you think they lived in Egypt for probably what was several years? How did they live? This is not a trick question. What is it? Carpentry? I would have thought carpentry too. And yet, they had a travel fund. Remember those, those guys that came and brought those little cool, cool gifts? Uh, they didn't put those in a trust fund, by the way. It's not like, let's put this in the Jesus Trust Fund, we can't touch it. They suddenly had a crop of money, resources. Were they able to get up and go? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, sometimes we forget that part that, you know, we look and go, oh, this was such a sacrifice. Look, God said, get up and go. And they're just like, oh, man, we're going to have to, like, scrimp and, you know, how are we going to get by? You know how they got by? They got by okay, because God had provided through the Magi everything they needed to cover all their expenses. Matter of fact, there's no mention here that how did they do? Well, they did, they did okay. We, and, and we know that. But the, interestingly, the next time Joseph has a dream, listen to this. Angel comes, he has this dream, says, get up, take the child, go back. What does the next verse say? He got up, grabbed everybody, went back. 
Many times, you know, we kind of think Joseph, he's this peripheral person. He's out here on the side. We don't really know what happened to him. He probably died young or died at some point. We just don't know. You know, he's kind of a non-character. No, no, no. Joseph is not a non-character. He, we see he is a man of faithfulness. We see he's a man of obedience. We see he's a man who cares for his family. And we see he was a, he's, he's a man who's, even though he's fearful about things, he still submits it to God and God still uses it. I, I would submit to you that Joseph is one of the overlooked Bible characters as a person of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Now, you're probably thinking, hey, wait a minute, you know what? If an angelic vision comes to me tonight and says, get into a doctoral program, I'm good. Particularly if I happen to have like an extra $200,000 dropped in my bank account. Okay, but God does that. And he still calls us to be faithful, even if he doesn't do that. When we are convicted in the word, he still there's an expectation that we will respond in faithfulness and obedience and trust him to make the way for the things he calls us to. So let's not forget Joseph here. He's a, he's a very interesting character that God used in a very powerful way. But you know what? These are not just three really cool historic vignettes that are here to kind of let us know, oh, look, God speaks, Joseph did, God took Christ over here so that this could be fulfilled. That was all certainly part of the package, but there's more here. Consider 1 Samuel 7, 12, because I think it connects with why Matthew's actually telling us these stories. In 7, 12, the Philistines were coming down to the Israelites, and they were quite nervous at the time because the Philistines were quite powerful. And Samuel, the prophet, says, hey, you know what? Let's just have a worship service. I know there's this pressure coming, but let's just... Go before the Lord. We'll worship before him, and let's see what God will do. And they're all anxious, and they go, oh, the Philistines. And so they have a worship service. There's a sacrifice of worship, and it says, and the Lord scattered the Philistines. So much so that the, that the, the Israelites rose up in excitement and chased them and had the full victory that day. And from that moment, we see in 1 Samuel seven twelve, it says, Samuel took out a stone and set it up between these two places, Mizpah and Sheen, and he named it Ebenezer, which means God is our help, or God helps us, or God comes through in times of need. And he said, from this place, God helped us. And so they put the stone up. By the way, these are not like a little stone. We've got the vineyard stones out there. This is like a monolith sticking up out of the ground, a mini Washington monument, so that when people would see it, they would say, what is that? And people would say, that's where God did this thing. And it's here to remind us of that. It became known as an Ebenezer stone, a stone of remembrance, a stone of remembering what God had done, of confirmation that God is able. Well, you know, these stories are all like that. They're concrete reminders that God works in all different kinds of ways. And as we read them, and to the Jewish reader, they were definite Places of remembrance. And you know, I think that's what these were all about. I think these are three little Ebenezer stones that the Jewish believer would look back at and go, oh, wait, look, God did this, God did this, God did this. Ah, this makes sense. Now, there are some cautions and some commands when we think about this whole idea of memorials and Ebenezer stones. The first one comes in the way of a caution. We find it in Deuteronomy 6. This is when... Moses is giving his final word to the people as they're about to move into the promised land. You, re, you remember Moses did not go. He stayed on the other side of, of the river. 
uh, so they could see, he could see the promised land, but he didn't go in. And he stands up and he gives this fabulous presentation to the people. And in verse, uh, beginning of verse 3 of chapter 6, he says those classic words that we've all probably heard many times before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes on and he describes some things beginning there. And in verse 3 he says, Be careful to obey his words that it may go well with you. Be careful. Now, nobody says be careful unless there's a potential for stupidity. Matter of fact, I was driving down Speedway. I love the little pottery place that just opened up down there. It says, stupid prices. So low. Now, one, I don't think they're stupid, which, by the way, they didn't misspell stupid. But I don't think they are stupid. And it's obviously a hint to let us know, hey, these are good prices. You, don't, you would be stupid if you passed it up. But that's not what's happening here. God is saying, be careful. Don't be stupid. Be careful to obey so that it would go well with you. And then in verse 10, there's this interesting little section where Moses says to the people, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he promised your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land, flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't take care of, wells that you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. When the Lord gives that to you, and you eat and you're satisfied, listen to what he says, be careful. Be careful about what? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and into this land out of slavery. I got to tell you, this is the word to people living in America. It is the caution of affluence and comfort. Be careful when you're lying on your cushy bed tonight. Be careful when you drive a decent car that doesn't break down. Be careful when things are good. And things are happening that really you didn't really do. I know you think you did, but you didn't really. God has supplied all these good things. Be careful what? Because it's not just forget the Lord, isn't it? As a matter of fact, after a while, what begins to happen? We begin to think, look at all the cool stuff I did. Look at all the cool stuff I made happen. Look at all this. This comfort that... Not only did I make happen, I think I actually deserve this. I think, I think I'm worthy of this. Be careful. That's one of the reasons this passage in Deuteronomy is so powerful, because this caution is followed 10 verses later by a command, where in verse 20, the Lord says, in the future, when your children come to you and say, hey, what's with these commands and these rules and these words that came from God. What's with these? What's with all these laws that the Lord has commanded us about? What's with that? Verse 21, then you need to tell them, and it goes on and it says, remind them of the story of what God did. You were here, he took you out. You, were, you needed this, he provided that. You were over here, he took care of this. Tell them that story so that they see the connection between his word and what life is all about. Connect it. Because if you don't connect it, they won't understand, and they too will forget. i got to tell you, this is some scary stuff. 
Because I, I think we are, above all people, prone to forgetting and prone to believing a big, fat lie. And that lie goes like this. You live in a great country. You must be a great people. You must be a great person. You deserve all the stuff around you. Forgetting that we stand on the shoulders of godly men and women who laid down a lot to make all this happen and set things in motion which we now enjoy today and cause certain systems and practices and structures to come into being that we enjoy. We need to remember, and that came out of God's goodness. But you know, there's more than that. I think these stories, as well as setting these memorials that call us to be careful, they also give us confirmation and confidence. Because why did he use these three stories? They seem rather minuscule. Why even focus on these things in the past? And that's because he wants us to share what God has done to pass on to others, primarily to those in our family. Exodus 13.8 says this, On the day when your son asks you these things, tell them, I do this because of what the Lord did for me. Aren't those great words? When your children ask you, what's this all about? Tell them, this is what the Lord did. This is in place because of what God has done. Not me, not you, not us, because of what God has done. Now, the passage there is referring to the Passover, and he goes on in that passage and says, remind them what the Passover is all about and why it came about and what, it's, what it means. Tell them that, but be sure to tell them. Don't let it pass without them understanding the connection. Over in Joshua 4.7, you probably remember this passage. Joshua, again, has got a lot of exciting things happening. They're getting ready to cross into the Promised Land. Do you know the story? As they cross the Jordan River and it rolls back, Joshua says, hey, you 12 guys, over here, pick up what? Remember this? Everybody pick up a stone. That's right, you guys, big guys, pick up a big stone, carry it over, and we're going to stack them up right over there on the other side. Why? Verse 6, in the future, when your children come and say, what do these stones mean? Why are they all stacked up like that? What's that about? Verse 7, tell them that the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and when we crossed, the waters went back. They are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever of what God did in this place. A memorial that people will look and go, what is that about? Let me tell you what that's about. So, you know, why is all this memorial stuff important? And I think it's because we are people prone to forget. One, we just forget, period. We forget where things came from. We forget what stuff is all about. We forget that things are important. We just forget. And I think that sometimes we're quite selfish and we're self-reliant. We really begin to believe our own press. We begin to think that we're pretty cool and, look, I can do some cool stuff, so therefore I must be like, I'm not God, but, you know, I'm pretty close. I can do some great stuff. And I think that after a while, we begin to rewrite the history of the way things went, and we begin to believe that history, and that is to our own detriment. We need visual, concrete reminders that stimulate our thinking. This is what happened here, and this is what God did. But you know, it's more than just what God did. It reminds us this is what God is doing now and what God will do in the future. And so when we come back to these passages in Matthew I think there's some things that we need to remember. That there is a joy of hindsight which we get to enjoy 
which they were enjoying at the time, and that was look back and see what God has done. Those become proof texts that God is doing what he said he would do. I know this sounded confusing, that I'm going to call my son out of Egypt. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Look, Jesus went to Egypt. He was called out. I know it seems confusing that, you know, wait a minute, was, didn't, wasn't he born in Beth, Bethlehem? Why did you call him a Nazarene? Because they came back and his father moved the family to Nazareth. And so he became known as a Nazarene. Oh, so God did something that out of the ordinary, yes. And so we have this proof text for understanding that God's purpose was great and had capacity more than we can imagine. And it's a reminder that as we move into the future, God will work there too. And it's not going to be the way we expect. It's probably going to be a little surprise. And so we look back and see these wondrous things that God did to remind us that God is doing wondrous things here and will do wondrous things in the future as well. It propels our vision, not just backward, but forward. And it gives us confidence, and it gives us confirmation that God has a plan, and it's a pretty cool one, and it involves us. As a matter of fact, it involves all those believers and unbelievers. God will use whoever he chooses to accomplish his purpose. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, very interesting word from the Lord through Isaiah. He says this beginning of verse 8. You, you probably know this passage. For my thoughts are just like yours. Right? No. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that would be a frightening passage, except that we see in the New Testament that Jesus says, I have come to declare the thoughts of God. You can know the intents of God through me. But it does remind us that there's a grander plan that we, it's so, it would just blow our mind. As a matter of fact, I read these passages and I go, who thought this stuff up? And the answer is, God did. In his wonderful creativity, he thought, let's do something really wacky here. Let's have him go over to Egypt for a little while, because then everybody will connect with that, and people will understand, and they'll, they'll, they'll connect the dots. But it shows us there's a grander plan in place, and it gives us insight into the amazing work of Christ, which didn't begin at age 30. It began right here. This wondrous work of revealing this king, even from the beginning, God's plan was being unveiled. God was at work implementing his plan Nothing could stand against it. Not an evil king who decided to try to kill a lot of children to get the one he wanted. Not a scared father who was a little nervous. Not a mother that we don't hear much about in this, in this period. No one could stand against God's plan because they were involved in it. And God's plan unfolded by its own volition, its own power. So it encourages our confidence not only in what was, but in what was to come. So, you know, one of the questions reading these sorts of things and even looking at a memorial where God has done wondrous things is, okay, God did that then, but is he going to do anything now? Can he, does he have the capacity? Does he have the capacity? Does God have the capacity to involve us in a cool plan right here, right now? Yes. Do we need to worry about the future like it's totally unknown to us? Well, it is unknown to us. Is it unknown to God? No. And if we're part of his plan, do we need to be nervous about that future? No. Because we're in his plan and he will accomplish his good purposes through people of faith. So he calls us to come and participate. Participate today. Be a part of my plan today. 
And he wants us to look at these stories and say, wow, man, I'm so excited. God did these great things. And he used like ordinary people like Joseph and those guys. He could probably use me too. And the answer is yes, he could. And he will. And even if we're nervous about things, God will use that. Even if we're scared to step out, God will still capitalize on that and do something good things. Because God is at work in the smallest details of his plan. He knows them all. Nothing escapes his purview. And he is just as true to his promises then as he is now, as he is to those who have, that have yet to be fulfilled, which I find that very exciting. Matter of fact, one of the, one of the hallmarks in my, in my lovely wife's thinking is when things get really, really crazy at our house, she goes, you know what, maybe Jesus is coming tonight. <laughs> now, you know what? I chuckle at that, but a, one day is going to come when she's, she's going to be right. And, you know, and I'm going to be surprised. Like, Wow. Who knew? How'd you know that? And of course the answer is, yeah, well, you, you know what the answer is. But I got to tell you, God's promises, they're going to come to pass. Peter warns us that there'll come people who go like, hey, where's these promises? They're not going to happen. That, that's stupid. Don't, you should even believe that. Peter says, watch out for those folks. Because God is faithful. What he has done, he will do. And that is true in this case. And I'm convinced that is why Matthew is unveiling these three vignettes so that we will look and be encouraged, just as the Jewish believers were when he first wrote this letter, and we will look to the future and go, yes, this is worth investing, because God is faithful. So, how do we respond to these stories and these, these kind of passages? I mean, when you hear the wondrous work of God, whether it's in the scriptural stories, or you hear someone tell a wonderful story, I, I was telling Chris, I just heard uh, Eric Metaxas, who wrote um, Bonhoeffer, that man can tell a story. There's just no way around it. And he said, I've written two new books, one called Seven Men and one called Seven Women. Seven people you don't know anything about, for the most part, whose lives were so powerful, they changed the world they were in, and yet almost nobody knows them. Now that's, you hear those kind of stories, and you want to go, yes. And then he gave a caution. He says, I'm not telling you these stories so you want to be these people. I'm telling you these stories to show you that God uses everybody Anybody who is willing to be used. And I think that many times that's our issue, is we kind of say, well, you know, I can't see the end. I'm not really sure where the parade's going, so I'm reluctant to get in. I think the Holy Spirit calls us to get in, come in, be a part of the work. Because if we know that God fulfills his plans, then we can be encouraged. So when you hear these things, does it stir in you a sense of awe? Well, God's, God's got it. That his ideas, which are so high above us, that he still invites us to be a part. When you hear these things, does it like build your faith up where you kind of go, yes, I, I think I want to be a part of this. I think I want to do something different. When you hear it, does it, do you just like want to respond in worship and you go, God is so awesome. And he is. And you just want to worship because you're stunned by the thoughts of God. Does it encourage you to fully participate in what God is doing today? Because it should. Does it stimulate something in your heart where you go, I want to be a part of that. I want to be one of those people. In, in um, Eric Metaxas' presentation, he, he, he quoted, actually gave a little paraphrase of a quote from C.S. Lewis where he said, the actions of today reverberate into eternity. Your actions today reverberate into eternity. And then he told the story of Susanna Wesley. 
He says, here, Susanna Wesley. 19 kids, 11 lived. Two of them changed the course of the Christianity in America. Charles and, and John, Charles and John Wesley. And he says, I bet when she was raising those boys, she wasn't thinking, these are world changers. I bet she was thinking, these boys are a pain in the tuchus right here. How can I get them to calm down? Or nah, 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 nah. She didn't think those. She didn't think she was doing anything world changing, but she was faithful to the task that God placed before her, which from many people's vantage point, she's like, that's a nothing task. Eh, who, who cares? Moms, what do they do? You know what they do? They change the world. One person at a time. And that person might be the person that changes thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the world. Because faithfulness is related to those little things we do that have logarithmic impact through time. And you know, the beauty of this is our hope is not built on the unknown or the unexpected. It's built on fulfilled promises that God has made known to us. I fulfill these promises, hundreds of them, just in the coming of Christ. And our faith is not in a faithless God who makes promises that he doesn't deliver on. Our faith is in the faithful one. And he calls us to be faithful. And he calls us to participate. So, consider the memorials that are in your life that where God has done some good things. Think on those things. Be encouraged. Ponder God's confirmation of Christ's coming. As the prophet said, it was fulfilled in these things. I want you to just be thinking about that as we now take some time. Uh, the worship team can come up as we take some time to remember one of the truly wonderful memorials in the faith, that of breaking bread in communion, remembering God's gift to us in Christ, breaking the bread, knowing that he broke his body for us, taking the cup, dipping the bread in it, knowing that he shed his blood for us. What a great powerful and amazing memorial that is to us. Would you just meditate for a few moments on God's goodness to you as we prepare to take communion?